Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, the Crypto Hipster, Jamil Hassan, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, executives, thought leaders, artists, musicians, you name it, all over the world in crypto and blockchain. And today, actually today and the summer season, I am bringing to you a new compilation episode. Last year, from seasons one, two, and three, I brought you the Crypto Hipsters Chronicles. And now, from season four and five, without further ado, I bring you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And what that is, and what it was last year, and what it is this year, it's a compilation. It's a compilation of three or four podcasts together as like a montage. And on a certain topic or area of interest in crypto and blockchain, pulling from my podcasts. And now, as we're heading to the summer of 2023, I bring to you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And there's going to be 22 or 23 or 24 around their episodes. And I look forward to you looking forward to it. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for, for enjoying my podcasts. And this is going to be a summer treat for everybody. So please sit back, enjoy, and uh, yeah, let me know your thoughts. This is Crypto Hipsters Mysticals, Episode 7, a spot check inventory on crypto market predictions at the 2023 midway point. This compilation of podcasts combines three clips from three different podcasts. The first is Dennis Vaisalari, who is the project manager at Napcat. Second, David Schwartz, head of strategic partnerships at the Litecoin Foundation. And third is Jeff Dorman, the chief investment officer at ARCA. Enjoy. So all along in the years I've been in crypto, we talk about the collective wisdom of the crowd, right? But not everybody's tapping into the collective wisdom of the crowd. So how how have we not done that yet for the ones who haven't done it? And how could they do it better? And then what would be the, how would that make a difference? Right. Uh, very good question, actually. So I, I do think that slowly, slowly as, as a collective, we are, we are becoming better as a society however you know internet is taking a lot of our, our attention and uh, and and usually this attention means focus or or actually i'm not so sure how to how to respond to that so well but uh, communities i would say work well simply because they connect the individual or or actually the individuals connect together uh, and uh, each individual can have uh, different likings and preferences, and uh, this is totally acceptable. Uh, and, and those preferences slowly, slowly uh, accumulate. And, and let's say, for example, a lot of people like uh, Doge or a lot of people like uh, uh, to oppose a narrative, then, then usually they will uh, have an impact. And we see that, for example, with uh, Wall Street bets, 
where everyone was uh, shorting, uh, the community just decided to go against uh, the trend and they uh, literally liquidated so many hedge funds just because, uh, yeah, degenerates, let's put it like that, uh, as, as known in crypto. Let's make it more crypto centric then, because um, Wall Street Bets is, uh, you know, I think I think GameStop, I think AMC, I think stocks. Stocks are not crypto. What is crypto? Celsius Networks crypto. You know, other companies are bankrupt. They had a run on them in crypto. Um, and buyers now, the institutional buyers coming in are less uh, community centric and more money centric. Um, why do you think that these community centric people are going to fall off if the only focus is on the money? I didn't get the question. What? If the focus is on more in finance and less on the community, why do you think the community is going to fall apart or fall to the, or, or leave? I don't think the community will leave. Uh, I think actually the community is empowered by, uh, uh, let's say, a few influencers or, or if the narrative is good, if if, uh, if the vibe is good, people will stay. Even if, uh, let's say, for example, uh, uh, a financial model is not so well, uh, it's not so well established. Like people might stay just because they they like it, they like the community and, and everything. And slowly, slowly they will start contributing. The product will become better. And and essentially, uh, if, even a bad product essentially has a good chance if if uh, it's backed by a good community. Um, and and my point on that, I guess, is that. Uh, you can have the best um, the best software or, or you can have like five billion dollars uh, to power up a startup if that startup doesn't have community doesn't have people that actually love the product or or they feel fit in in that community uh, this startup probably will fail uh, so yeah i think that's very important speaking and, and crypto is kind of doing that like it's bringing finance in a more community-oriented way. So let's talk about societal benefits. Um, Long-term societal benefits of connected communities seems now to be more important than ever before, right? Why do you think that's true? Mm -hmm. well, uh, I think it's mainly because of the internet. So we have a lot of, uh, like there are a lot of uh, small groups, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of channels. Uh, a lot of cool people that actually can show their face uh, in a global scale. Uh, so uh, you you can literally uh, be living in a very small village that has uh, 10 inhabitants. However, due to internet, you can uh, create your own community online and you can have like 10,000 members uh, joining that community. And it's not necessarily um, um, a reason for you. Uh, you don't have a reason per se to profit out of a community you just you can have a community just to have fun to hang out to uh, you know to spend your time ex exchange uh, ideas uh, and and of course uh, like trading resources or or trading uh, opportunities is there was a there's a contagion there's a bear market right now but wait a second you were here in 2018 and I was here in 2018 and it looks really similar you know, leading up to August, you know, um, when the happening was then in 2019 and the having will occur in 2023. So what do you see as far as navigating this contagion and the upcoming happening for Litecoin's outlook? 
Well, I think from the contagion perspective, if you if you watch price, right, um, it actually did it fared really well versus a lot of other um, assets out there. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is probably um, the fact that it's not as much of a speculative asset as a lot of other ones are out there. Uh, you get a lot of people who are actually just buying and holding. Um, they're not necessarily trading it so much or they're using it like it's meant to be used. Um, and so it's sort of um, normal day stuff, right? And so if you see other cryptos, they just got slashed during this contagion. And even Bitcoin and Bitcoin, because technically, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of that was just paper Bitcoin floating around. Um, and so you saw it drop for a while there and now it's recovering because everybody's pulling their Bitcoin off of these uh, exchanges. But a lot of these exchanges technically didn't have that much Litecoin on their platforms to begin with, right? Like storing it, like actually custodying it. So it wasn't affected the same way and price actually went up because people were realizing some of these crazy tokens and whatever else don't really have much behind them and so they were taking that money and putting it back into whatever you would call you know blue chip or more conservative or more realistic liquid assets like bitcoin and litecoin and maybe ethereum or whatever but um so it didn't get affected as much and i anticipate just like any other having that's happened with litecoin as we get closer to that next year you'll see a spike in price because the inflation gets cut in half and um you know if you go back and look at 19 the hash rate goes spiking the the price spikes usage spikes everything goes up and then for a time after that, it's, you know, it, it cools back down again, but um, that having is a big deal. And then usually you don't see realization of that until probably anywhere from a year to two years later where the price actually uh, reflects that more. Right. So um, you'll see that burp, you'll see that burp in price. And I don't anticipate that not happening. Um, even if like there's some black swan event, macroeconomic type stuff, you're probably still going to see it in some respect. It may not be as amplified, but you'll you'll see one. So um, when does that start? I, I think there's people starting to accumulate now. And that's probably the other part of why you didn't see as much of a drop is because people realize you get in early than what is considered early getting earlier than what's considered early and that's what people are trying to do now with that so it's probably good timing <laughs> yeah yeah i started around christmas in 2018 i had a couple heart attacks and i said i, I used Litecoin as a way to recover saying <laughs> as a way to look forward to it and then you know the price did go up eventually you know over the next eight mm -hmm. months but you said the word there you said hash rate right yeah. um yeah. so one of the things we look at in Litecoin is hash rate so how's the hash rate doing it's great. It's uh, been consistently at or above 600 now, um, which is, you know, basically highs. Those are all-time highs. So I think the last time it was around there was around that same time we were just talking about. Um, and so now that becomes the norm, right? Um, and so I would anticipate the hash rate when you get closer to that having is just going to be like nothing we've seen yet. So. Um, I'm I'm very happy with the hash rate. It's obviously it shows a lot of security. 
You know what's funny is I've seen a lot of Bitcoiners lately on Twitter. They try and compare script hash rate to, you know, the SHA-256, which is what Bitcoin and others um, on that on that um, hashing algorithm use. And it's so comical because it, it's they're so different. It's like literally like comparing apples to oranges. There's no comparison. I mean, everything about them is different. So. For for Litecoin to dominate 98% of the script hash rate is a big deal, and for somebody to try and compare the two as if one's dying off and the other is accelerating is really comical to me. Let's talk about your 2023 predictions because a lot of people made predictions in 2022, and no one predicted the CFI implosion. Um, so you have some predictions for 2023. And um, the first question I have is about your predictions is how will digital assets as an asset class decouple from traditional markets and remain uncorrelated going forward? Yeah. And, um, you know, we've been running these outlook pieces for a few years and sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. As you mentioned, I don't think very many people called the uh, the implosions of so many of the, you know, once stalwart companies of, of digital assets last year. But, um, you know, some of the writing was on the wall with regard to how much just leverage there was across the system. And and, and certainly, you know, some companies that that, in our opinion, uh, you know, weren't necessarily the most kosher. But but yeah, I mean, 2022 was definitely a. Um, certainly outside the, uh, uh, the 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 norm that we were expecting. Um, in terms of 2023, though, I think it'll be a little. I think it'll be quite different, right? For 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 obvious reasons. You know, one is that um, a lot of the bad actors in the space have either organically been cleaned up through bankruptcy or or now through you know uh, regulatory actions. Um, but one of the things I think is probably most interesting is that you know a lot of people weren't paying attention to to blockchain until really the last 18 months. And they didn't see that for most of blockchain and digital assets existence, that this was a pretty uncorrelated asset class, uh, that what happened in the traditional world of debt and equities and real estate really had no uh, bearing on what ultimately happened to the prices of these different digital assets. Um, what happened in the last 12 months, or really last 14 months, right, starting in November 2021, was that correlation uh, became really high because ultimately the path that central banks around the world created a pretty strong uh, negative wealth effect that affected everything, right? I mean, you know, last year was um, one of the first, was, was the first year ever that both fixed income and equities were down more than 10% in the same year. Um, and obviously, you know, real estate is starting to get hit and then, you know, the digital asset market down, you know, 60% plus depending on where you look. So the common narrative now is that this is just another asset class that is going to be highly correlated to, you know, the rest of the market and therefore, um, you know, it's really just a, a, a higher beta exposure to the same things. And that's what I would really challenge because I, I think digital assets have historically been uncorrelated for a reason and will continue to be uncorrelated um, going forward here because um, you really have um, a totally different drivers of value. Um, and what I mean by that is you know, you look at a, a, a traditional bond, like a corporate bond, or you look at the stock of a company, and it is incredibly impacted by rates and by cash flows, and it, meaning, you know, the higher interest rates um, obviously will uh, negatively impact a discounted cash flow model in terms of the terminal value of, of those cash flows. And also, if you have lower demand for goods and services, and ultimately you have lower cash flows, which, you know, reduces the value 
um, uh, of a stock and also obviously limits the, the ability to, to service your debt. But what's more interesting about digital assets is, again, most of them outside of Bitcoin, I, I put Bitcoin in a totally different class because Bitcoin really is more of a belief or a religion than it is a financial instrument. Um, but the other tokens, for the most part, again, are these hybrid instruments. And the best way to think about what I mean by a hybrid instrument is take Amazon, for example. You have Amazon shares, which represent the, the revenues and the cash flows of Amazon as a business, right? The better Amazon does as a business, the more those revenues and cash flows increase, the more money you make as a shareholder. But now you have something, now you have Amazon Prime. And Amazon Prime is really more of the loyalty or the, or the utility value of Amazon the business, right? Uh, it gives you um, shipping, free shipping. It gives you movies. It gives you music. It gives you um, uh, uh, Whole Foods discounts, right? You get all these different value drivers from that. Um, you can very easily be an Amazon shareholder without being an Amazon Prime member and vice versa. You can be a Prime member without being a shareholder. So as a result, the two different values, which are not the same, accrue differently to different people in the Amazon ecosystem, right? Customers, you know, if there's a huge recession and Amazon shares go down 50% because Amazon's revenues and cash flows go down, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to derive less value from downloading music um, or watching movies or getting Whole Foods discounts and all the other perks that come with Amazon. What tokens do is they really combine those two. So instead of having these different stakeholders getting different value drivers, um, a token gives you both. Most tokens are designed to be both your prime membership and your equity in one instrument. So take, for example, um, Ethereum. Right? Ethereum has real revenues and cash flows. Um, as, uh, if you think of Ethereum just as, like an app, as an app store, the more apps that are built on Ethereum and the more transactions that happen, the more revenues and cash flows through, through fees are generated for Ethereum. And those revenues and fees go directly back to token holders. Um, and as a result, part of Ethereum's value can be valued in the form of, of, of an equity, right? In the term of, of discounted cash flow on revenues and, 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 and the profits of Ethereum. But also, Ethereum has this utility or benefit value, right? You can use ETH across DeFi uh, as collateral to, to use different DeFi products. Um, you can use Ethereum as the gas or, or the currency of uh, any uh, of the apps and the ecosystems within Ethereum. Um, as a result, there is a utility value to Ethereum as well, right? A, a more of this kind of rewards, loyalty, um, you know, a, a, a value that's different. So ultimately, when, when you go back to like, why will you see a divergence of digital assets from, you know, debt and equity this year? It's because we probably are heading into a recession. We are going to see um, lower cash flows, lower revenues, which is going to negatively impact both equities and debt. But those same drivers are only going to partially impact digital assets. But the utility value, this usage value, will only continue as you see more and more companies and projects getting involved in this space. So I do think digital assets will likely prove to be more recession proof than equities if we have a downturn. And I also think they will prove to be a higher growth asset to the upside if you see you know, a, a return to growth. Either way, I think digital assets are going to perform better than debt and equities in 2023 and, and also, like I said, ultimately decouple and have very little um, impact on what's happening with the Fed or central banks or everything that really drove returns in 2022.